This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is fair and gone. Deep left center. Game over. Cuts win. Cuts win. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He caught it. He caught it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you. A gorgeous day today. Not nearly as humid, at least early. Probably going to get warm, probably going to get humid, but that's the nice part about getting up early and getting out and about. You get to enjoy um, nice, comfortable weather. But for the second day in a row... All the lanes on the Stevenson were closed. Yesterday, a horrible accident with a car going the wrong way hits a cab. Today, a uh, gas leak off a truck or something like that, a liquid leak, and they closed everything at Cicero. So, yeah, that's a good way to start your day. But hopefully your day is off to a better start. 312-332-3776. What we like to do, and when I say we, I mean me, basically, because I'm the guy here. On Sundays, after Black and Abdallah, after they fill you in on the NBA and what's going on about baseball and everything else, I come in and I say, well, you know what? I can't give you any more information about basketball than they did because they are knowledgeable guys. They know the game. They love the game. So why am I going to talk about it? I'm going to talk about baseball because that's what I know and that's what I love. And yesterday... Not a lot of love for my South Side team. They were miserable as the Athletics beat the White Sox 13 to 2, while the Cubs scored seven runs in the first inning off the Pirates. They get their second straight win after the break against Pittsburgh, a team that took it to them at PNC. And the Cubs hold on to a game and a half lead in the National League Central. 312-332-3776. You can also get to me always at Twitter at Fred underscore Huebner. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of baseball, Cubs and Sox here in the first half hour. Then all the talk about people thinking that Joe Madden should be fired if, in fact, the Cubs don't do anything. Or maybe not even thinking he should be, but thinking that something has to be done if the Cubs don't get to where they want to go, and Madden will be the fall guy. Um, we'll talk about Madden. We'll hear from Carl Ravitch, who had his thoughts on this. He joined the shows earlier this week, and we'll hear from him. And then uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, talking about the balls flying out of the yard, juice baseballs, and all. Oh, they know nothing about it. They just know that they're going far. So uh, we'll hear from uh, Manfred and also Jeff Passan from ESPN. He joined us earlier this week. He was on with Cap and Company. He had some great, great stuff, not only about juice baseball, but maybe about players juicing a little bit, and he didn't seem to have a problem with it. They call it microdosing, and uh, he didn't seem to have a problem with it. And after I heard him talk, I didn't really have a problem with it either. So we'll get into that and much, much more. Jesse Rogers will join us at 11 o'clock. We'll play some Major League Baseball highlights, and there were a bunch of them. If you're just a Cub fan or just a Sox fan, you don't know what you're missing. The rest of Major League Baseball is all kinds of fun to be keeping an eye on. And then, last night, out at SeatGeek Stadium, the Chicago Fire lost. They've won one of their last nine games in Major League Soccer. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on there. 
in the last 15, 20 minutes of the show. Here till 12 noon, you can jump on in 312-332-3776. And yesterday, Cubs got off to a nice early start, and it went well for the North Siders as they scored seven runs in the first inning. We, and I'm including myself here, we all were surprised that Joe Madden decided not to play Wilson Contreras in the first game back after the All-Star game. Um, they played Caratini catching Darvish, and Contreras didn't play the outfield. Joe basically saying that that's probably not going to happen all that much. Uh, when Contreras gets a rest, he's going to get a rest. And I guess in the long run, that's probably a good thing. Wilson Contreras yesterday coming to the plate, hits a three-run home run in the first inning as the Cubs score seven runs off Jordan Lyles. Walks will kill you. Lyles in two-thirds of an inning walked four guys. Gave up four hits, allowed seven runs. He threw 43 pitches. He was gone. The Cubs then coast to a, a 10-4 to win. John Lester, pitching very well, didn't hit too bad either. Lester yesterday with a home run. He went two for three, drove in three runs as the Cubs get the easy 10-4 victory. But on the hill, where Lester makes his big money, six and two-thirds, eight hits, three runs. He walked no one. And struck out six. Cubs get a much-needed victory as they knock off the Pirates yesterday. And they win a series. I heard Abdallah mention it. First win of a series since June, I want to say June 8th, he said. Uh, the Cubs were 0-4-4 in their last eight series. They had uh, tied a bunch, tied the White Sox, tied a couple of four-game series, and lost the rest. So now they get a win, and they're going for the sweep today. It'll be a 120 start. Trevor Williams going against Jose Quintana. And you look at this Cubs team, one of the keys for the North Siders, playing at home. They're 31-16 and at home. They're off to a nice start here as the second half gets underway, and Joe Madden says they look ready. The way we came out, obviously, speaks to that. I mean, it was hot out there, and we came out, and we were ready to play. Um, I, I, I Just sensing from the guys the looks on their face, it's, 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 it's right here. We're right here right now, and that's a good thing. Uh, we Some really frustrating borderline plays to be made. We had guys diving everywhere. Um, I thought Addison had a great game at second base. Uh, Jason continues to swing it and play it. That sunball was impossible, and he made that catch. Um, all that stuff was uh, really – and then Schwarber, two, two walks, and then the two oppos. That was beautiful to see also. So there's a, there was a lot of good indicators there today. Now, a lot of people have been complaining about Schwarber, and why not? I mean, he's really not hitting all that well, even with the two-for-three yesterday. He's at 228. His on base going into the game yesterday was 317. That goes up yesterday after he gets on base four times with two walks and also two hits. Let's see. It went up to 323, his on base percentage. Still leading off for the second day in a row since the break. And uh, Schwarber took walks. And Madden says that when you see guys taking walks, that actually means something. It shows that the team is fresh. Of course it is. Uh... Hitters go when hitters go bad. They'll go right to the video or want more BP, and I would rather they go the other way. And I'm telling you because they're just tired. They're tired. They're making bad decisions. Uh, they're not as quick with their hands, their wrists. They're from the elbows down. They're just not. But uh, the work ethic indicates that we're supposed to do more, and the uh, concept of doing less is really foreign to most athletes. Um, I cannot emphasize that more. I absolutely believe it to be true. So, yes, when, when things go poorly, whether it's a pitcher throwing too often or hitters 
uh, swinging too often, that's where diminishing returns set in, sets in. I totally believe that. So this is basically the Cub, he wants the Cubs to go on out there and do less. Just take some more pitches. Get on base. And uh, that's one of the things this Cubs team has been really good at. Uh, one of the things when I was listening to the end of Black and Abdallah's show, and I'm going to ask Jesse about this too when he joins us at 11 o'clock. And because the Cubs won in 2016, because they won the World Series, are they more capable of handling what's going on now than other teams? Like even maybe Milwaukee. Milwaukee was in the playoffs last year. They got there. But they're still a team that hasn't gotten to the big, you know, the top of the mountain. They haven't won the World Series. Is this Cubs team, they've stuck around. You look on, you know, all around, Contreras, Brian Rizzo, these guys were all there when they won the World Series. Baez, they were all there. Hayward, Schwarber, they were all there. Almora, everybody. Are they more prepared to go through this second half and maybe more prepared to step up? After they've been there. I know people will say, well, why didn't they do it last year? Well, see, they've also witnessed what happened. Last year, despite the fact that they made the playoffs, the one-game playoff, the wild-card playoff, they know what that was like. They know what the entire offseason was like sitting there waiting. And now they start the second half after the All-Star break. They win a couple of games. See, this playing at home, this homestand came at a perfect time for the Cubs. A nine-game homestand for a team that going in was 29-16 and 16 at home. They've won the first two. They're now 31-16. and 16. Their road record is miserable, okay? They're 18-27. and 27. I think there's only one team in baseball um, that has a worse, a worse home re- uh, road record than them. But... Starting at home for a nine-game homestand against teams you're going to have to beat who've beaten you, that's huge for this Cubs team. Right now they have a a game-and-a-half lead. Um, Brewers won yesterday. Cardinals won yesterday. Reds won yesterday. So the division now, top to bottom, five-and-a-half games. So what do you think? You think this team that's all stuck around with Madden and everybody else, obviously the pitching staff has changed a little bit. But do you think they're more prepared for a run here in the second half? Because they've been there before. They realized what happened last year. And now they're prepared and ready to go to take off in the second half. 312-332-3776. We'll get to your Cub calls. I want to make sure we hit on the White Sox. Now, I I hate to take credit for this. But I mentioned all during the All-Star break, when I was in here a lot for Carmen and Yurko, I mentioned a bunch that the White Sox starting the second half with a 10-game road trip and it was going to be tough because the White Sox started in Oakland, a team that's playing well and is in second place in the American League West. Then they go to Kansas City, who always plays the White Sox tough, and then Tampa Bay, a team that's chasing the New York Yankees. And you look at the standings right now, Tampa is 14 over 500. They're just six games back of the Yankees in the East, and they are the number one wildcard team in the American League. So it's not going to be an easy road trip for the White Sox. And the first two games have showed it. Sox lose 5-1 to one in uh, the game on Friday night, and yesterday they get destroyed. 13-2. Dylan Covey out there on the hill for the White Sox. Covey did not pitch well, and that is an understatement. He went two-thirds of an inning, four hits, six runs, two walks. He threw just 32 pitches, and Ricky Renteria said, yeah, I couldn't really let him go any longer. He, he was missing his spots quite a bit, and uh, with the pitch count getting up and just coming back, 
unfortunately just coming back off of you know the shoulder issue uh, once he got past 30 pitches uh, unfortunately I wasn't going to even you know to take a chance and leave him out there well and it was a good thing I guess that he pulled him out uh, Ross Detweiler came in and Detweiler didn't do much better went three and a third he gave up five runs on seven hits he walked a couple uh, there was an error there allowed an uh, unearned run to score but this game got out of control quickly. Seven runs in the first for Oakland, four more in the fourth, and uh, they go on to a 13-2 to win. The White Sox 0-2 to start this second half, and today they will get um, Ronaldo Lopez, who has a 6.34 run average. He's got to step up here in the second half. He's 4-8 against Brett Anderson. Familiar name? 9-5 uh, and five with a 386. He's pitching really well for Oakland. And the A's going for the sweep. Sox trying to salvage the final game before heading to Kansas City. And this bothered me a little bit. Dylan Covey has pitched in the big leagues before. Okay, He had an injury. He's coming back. He pitched well in his rehab work down in the minors. He comes up. He's pitched here. He's done this before. After the game, he talked about you know, maybe I was a little too excited for this one. Combination of really, really, really wanting to beat this team and first time out in over a month, just kind of let the nerves, uh, you know, alert nerves played a, played a part in it today, just wanting to, wanting to do too much, trying to do too much, and, uh, yeah, falling behind hitters. Um, but it felt good. It was just uh, the execution wasn't there. I went back and watched, you know, watched everything just to see. And um, four seamers were kind of leaking back over the middle, which is something that they haven't been doing. So, um, yeah, I think it was just a little too amped up, trying to do too much, and uh, not how I envisioned that one going. You know what makes for a good pitcher? That they don't let themselves get into their heads too much. Uh, have you ever heard? Have you ever heard Kyle Hendricks say I was a little bit too amped up for this one? No. You've got to have a temper where you're out there. You know what you're bringing. And they got to go on out and beat you. Here's Dylan Covey going out there, and the White Sox needed him to go out and perform. They want him to fit in as the fifth starter on this team with Giolito and Cease and Nova and. Uh, he goes out there, it was just absolutely brutal. And he wasn't walking people necessarily. Now, he did. He walked two, gave up four hits, six runs in those two-thirds of an inning. But you look at it, and they were rocketing balls off of him. It was it was not pretty. Not pretty at all yesterday. And um, they were hitting him and hitting him a long way. And Dylan Covey's a better pitcher than that. I'm getting tired of talking about pitchers on the White Sox. Well, he's got good stuff. Well, Ronaldo Lopez has good stuff. He struck out 14 earlier this year. He's got good stuff. A lot of times when pitchers fail, it's upstairs. It's in their head. And Dylan Covey basically telling you, I was too amped up. I really wanted to beat this team. This is the team that, you know, I came into the big leagues with. Well, was absolutely miserable yesterday. And he'll probably roll them out and get them another chance in Kansas City, unless they decide to go with Detweiler instead. After the game, after a miserable start, after getting outscored in the first two games of the series in Oakland, 18-3, to Ricky Renteria said this wasn't how we wanted to start the second half. We've played better than this. These are probably two of the, the toughest games or the worst games, kind of looking back-to-back that I can remember for us. And uh, for me, it has nothing to do with coming out of the break. It's just 
that's a good club and, and they're showing that they're a good club and we've got to be able to hold our own with them. And today we did. It's not only hold your own, and again, you want to jump in on either the Cubs or the Sox, 312-332-3776. It's not only holding your own. You're a team that's trying to establish yourself and the young players as a team that's on the rise, a team that's up and coming. And you go out to Oakland and you fall behind and you look dead on the field and you really just look awful. And the Oakland A's are busting their tail and playing real well. Now, I talked about the Cubs road record. Cubs road record 18 and 27. The White Sox are 17 and 26. Another team, they, they can't play very well on the road either. Now, the problem when you're talking about the White Sox, at least my problem is, you're looking at a team where they're still in a rebuild. They're in year three of a rebuild. So, is it wrong to get bummed out about them? Or should you realize, hey, this team's not ready to win. Anything you get this year is gravy. You just want to see the young players develop. You just want to see the young players continue to get better. And so far, we've seen it this year with Lucas Giolito with an 11-3 and record. We've really seen it with Yoan Moncada. Moncada right now hitting 309, 363 on base and a 538 slug. 16 homers and 49 RBIs. We've seen it. He moved to third base after playing a questionable second base. He's one of the top. I, I have not seen him make many mistakes at third base. I When there's a ground ball hit towards third, I look the other way. Because you know it's going to be a good throw. You know he's not going to make mistakes. Yohan Moncada has stepped this game up. So should we be enthused and encouraged by what those guys are doing and what's coming up? I mean, man, oh, man, Luis Robert. Uh, you also have uh, Andrew Vaughn, the kid that the White Sox drafted third overall. He's ripping up, um, you know, the where he was in Arizona for a while. Now he's at Kannapolis, got a game-winning hit yesterday uh, on a walk-off. There's a lot of, there's a bright future for the White Sox. But as a White Sox fan, it's so tough because you understand they're not ready yet, but it's hard to watch. And I, I feel a little bit for Ricky Renteria because part of me says he'll be here. The Sox have signed him to an extension. He'll be here when this team's going to get good. And the other part says the same thing is going to happen to him here that happened when he was with the Cubs. He's going to be here through the hard times. And then when the good times come, they're going to bring somebody else in. And anybody that knows me knows a little bit about what I think managers mean to a team. Sending a culture is one thing. I think the guys play for Renteria. I think the team, the Cubs play for Joe Madden. But players at one point or another have to step their games up. And uh, the Cubs hopefully are doing it now here in the start of the second half. The White Sox, it's tough to go on out there when you've got Yolmer Sanchez as Lurie Garcia, who's basically playing on one leg. He's, he was playing center field. Now he stepped in and played very, very well at shortstop for the injured Tim Anderson. He hurt himself yesterday. Who are they going to put at short? Rondon's going to go out, out there and play? They just need to step up and get more players. They bring this A.J. Reed in. They sign him to a minor league contract. They immediately bring him up, and he starts the first two games of the second half as a D.H. And then yesterday he started at first base. Reed for the day, um, 0 for 3 yesterday with two strikeouts, 
And he got a hit. He was one for four, I think, in the first game uh, for the White Sox. Kind of reminds me of the guys the White Sox used to draft. Big 6'4", big heavy guy, can play the outfield or play first base or DH. And Zach Collins? Well, Zach Collins finally got another hit. He's um, He was one for four yesterday with a couple more strikeouts. Collins now for his uh, big league career, two for 26, 14 strikeouts. Is he going to stick around or does he need more seasoning in the minors? So a lot's... There's a lot of good things happening for the White Sox, but it's so hard to watch when you see what happened in the last two days. 312-332-3776. You want to talk Cubs baseball, White Sox baseball. We are going to uh, talk a little bit more about Madden, his future. Kyle Ravitch of ESPN had his thoughts on the managers. But first, let's go on out to Toledo, Ohio. I drove through Toledo a while back, and it's Joe. Hey, Joe, what's up? Hey, Fred. Love listening to you, especially with you and Mongo. I uh, just want to get your thoughts on overall star weekend. A lot of people are saying the Cubs are going to make a big move uh, coming soon. Uh, a lot of people think it's going to be Whit Mayfield, but uh, they've Kansas City has been saying that they want a lot for him. So just your thoughts. Who, if they're going to make a move, where do you see them making a move? You talked about Schwarber earlier not being the best leadoff guy. So a left-hand reliever, leadoff, what are your guys' thoughts? It's a great question because I don't know who they would have to give up to get a guy like Whit Merrifield. People, are you going to trade Alzali, you know, one of the only pitchers that you've actually developed over the last couple of years? Are you going to trade a Miguel Amaya, a young single-A catcher? Uh, Nico Horner, an infielder who's maybe a year or two away to help in this team? Are you going to move him? And after that, it's pitchers that are single or double-A. I mean, I don't know that you're going to get a Whit Merrifield for that. The name Eric Sogard has come up. I know Jesse mentioned it the other day. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with their leadoff spot. It looks like Joe's still happy with Schwarber, especially if he takes two more walks like he did yesterday. I mean, he got on base four times yesterday. I guess when you score seven runs in the first inning, though, no one's squeezing the bat too tight later on in the game, so it makes it a little bit easier to relax. Uh, I'm eager to see how he continues if he's going to stay at the leadoff spot. But everybody says that they're going to make a big move. I'm not so sure it's going to happen, Joe. Hey, great to hear that. I agree. The other big move that people have been commenting on, or I guess is picking up the whole uh, steam, is the Cubs' possibility of tra- uh, trading Joe Man. I mean, I love seeing him here. I think he's doing great. What are your thoughts on it? Do you think they're going to trade him, or what are the chances of the uh, Cubs trading for Joe or trading Joe away? Well, and not necessarily a Joe. We appreciate the call. Not necessarily trading a Joe Madden because. It, Managers have been traded, which is weird. Larusa was traded. Uh, there have been other managers that have actually been traded. Back in the day, I want to say Chuck Tanner might have been traded. Uh, but there are many people that think that if the if the Cubs don't get off to a good start and they fall back in this National League Central race, that a change of manager might help this team. I'm not sure. I think this team believes in Madden uh, for whatever that's worth. I just think that they realize they have to look inside and. Um, you know, if a guy like Madden can't get you ready to play, I don't know that a, bringing a rah-rah guy in at this point is going to really help this team. I disagree with Jesse and a lot of other baseball people who say that the managers ultimately are responsible when there's bad defense and bad base running. Listen, these guys have been playing baseball since they were in grade school, since they were six and seven years old. There's mistakes they made on the field here in the first half of the year that, you know, little leaguers don't make. And that's got to be cleaned up. The all, all you can do is bench a guy, talk to a guy, get it into his head, and then he's got to be the guy to step up. Obviously, the first two days, they played pretty clean baseball. 
uh, and won two games against Pittsburgh. Let's see if that continues on this homestand. And again, it helps that they're at home. They've got seven more. They've won the first two. It'll be Quintana going against Trevor Williams today. We come back more on what Joe was talking about, about the Cubs possibly moving in Joe Madden. We've had uh, a lot of people talking about it in the last week. Some people say that's what the Cubs need. Other people say, how can you do it? So we'll hear from them and hear from you at 312-332-3776. Lots of baseball talk here. It's Fred Hubner with you. Till noon, 312-332-3776 at ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Here till noon, we're going to hit some soccer talk, Chicago Fire soccer talk. They were actually in the news earlier this week because they spent like $65.5 to get out of their deal to play in Bridgeview. And it appears they'll be playing at Soldier Field next year. But uh, that's all everybody's guess, because where else would they play unless Jerry Reinsdorf said, come on down to the south side, we'll set you up and play at Guaranteed Rate Field. I'm just throwing that out there. I have no in, no inside news. I know nothing. And that's probably the first anybody's ever heard of it, including anybody that works for the Chicago Fire. Um, we're talking a little bit about the Cubs. Uh, there's been a lot of talk this week with the All-Star Game this week. Uh, this past week and the days off and then the Cubs finally getting back to action about what they need to do going into the break with only a half game lead. Now they've won two games in a row and they have a game and a half lead over the Brewers. Cardinals are three back, Pittsburgh four and a half, Cincinnati five and a half games back. So we're going to talk about is moving Joe Madden the answer for this. And I've said many, many times in baseball, Managers are important for setting the culture and making moves in the bullpen. Other than that, it's the players and the front office for getting the players for the manager to put on the field. I think managers are given way too much credit. And uh, because of that, and because of all the analytics, we've seen that too. Before we uh, hear from Carl Ravitch and uh, more, let's go out to Arizona and Rocky. Rocky, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Good morning. How are you? Doing well. I was just thinking, you know, the and you kind of explained a little bit here at the end. Your managers get all the glory when your team wins, but to me, it's, it's become a stale environment to a certain extent. Uh, you know, and the manager should be held responsible. And I know Madden's great, and he's been great, and he's got us to the glory land per se. But uh, I think a change, even if it's not now, or if they dip down later on in the season and he gets let go, or at the beginning of next year, you know, I see Joe Girardi sitting at the tables on MLB Network, and I can't help but think. You know, bring Joe Girardi back home unless he, his interests are not to manage anymore. But uh, on, a, on a separate note, also, uh, I think more than a leadoff hitter, in my personal opinion, a, a bona fide starting right-hander uh, to get deep into the postseason would be more important than a leadoff hitter. But I, I guess there's a double-edged sword there too. But those are my thoughts. Well, you know, the one thing, Rocky, really quick about the uh, they got Quintana a couple years ago because they figured, listen, we can use a, a guy that we have under control for a while. We have a decent pitching staff, but we needed one of those other guys. When you get to the playoffs, you re, you never go beyond four, uh, four starters. Your fifth guy usually just sits around. He doesn't, you know, he comes in in long relief and doesn't really make a start. You don't go much very, beyond four. Very, 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 very factual. Uh, but it's Quintana that guy. He's never been a proven big game pitcher. No, he hasn't. I know he has Right. He had he's had a decent he had he's had decent outings in the playoffs, but I, I don't know if Quintana's that guy. And, and I, I could be wrong; he could prove me wrong. But even in the South Side, I know they didn't have a lot of glory years there. But Quintana's never been a big pitcher, a big game pitcher, and I think that can be tough when you got Lester and Hendricks 
that's bona fide starters in playoff atmosphere. Uh, Quintana, I mean, I don't know who else is there. Oh, Hamels, if he comes back healthy and doesn't get traded, because I read something about him possibly getting being traded. Uh, I know I know he's got a big proven pitcher. I guess those three, Lester, Hendricks, and Hamels, are your three proven, you know, uh, playoff pitchers, I guess. Yeah, and, and you know, be honest with you, Rocky, and we appreciate the call. Uh, people are going to laugh because he hasn't had a win, but Darvish has pitched really well in, like, two or three of his last outings, just hasn't gotten a decision. And that wasn't his fault the other day. He went six and two-thirds, struck out eight. Uh, walked, I think, just one guy. He's pitched very, very well. Hasn't gotten the run support when he's needed it, and he hasn't gotten uh, help from the bullpen when he needed it. Um, but he's pitched well. So you, when you look at that rotation, Quintana, if Hamels comes back, Quintana's not, still your fifth guy. And uh, and Hamels, Hamels isn't going anywhere. I mean, if they, the only way he would go anywhere is if they if, if they were out of the playoff race, if they had no chance. And I don't think that's going to happen before July 31st. And there's not another trade deadline. There's just the one this year at the end of July. One more call. Let's go to Barrington and Dan. Dan, you're on ESPN 1000. What's happening? Hey, Fred. Hey, I had a question for you. Do you do you think the Sox did a disservice to Cease by uh, hiding him and making him go against the Royals? I mean, this guy is a top prospect. Why? It was his turn to go. Why do why you think they're hiding him? I mean, he already pitched against the Tigers. Why not let him go against the A's and see what happens? Seems a little... He's a little weak to me. What do you think about that? The only thing I can think of, I think after this one, he'll be in every five days. But I think this was a perfect time for them to give him an extended rest. You know, he he pitched in the big leagues, give him some time off, give him a full week off, and then have him go against Kansas City where the White Sox, you know, believe it or not, Kansas City has actually, you know, played the White Sox pretty tough over the years, especially in KC. So I don't think it's that bad. And I think I'll actually follow with Giolito is a good thing, too. Um, so I don't have a big problem. I understand what you mean. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him on the mound yesterday instead of, instead of Dylan Covey. But, um, I think they also want to make sure that he doesn't go too heavy in the innings because he did pitch in the minors this year. And, uh, they want to keep sure those innings are down because next year is the year they really want to make sure he's there and hopefully Kopech's ready and you go from there. So I, I, inter- I can't wait to see him on Tuesday. Uh, I understand your point, Rocky, because yesterday was not fun. Yeah, not fun at all. It was absolutely brutal. And uh, hopefully we won't, you know, next Dylan Covey's next start will be a little bit better than that. The people that are talking about moving Joe Madden, okay, I don't necessarily think, I don't think that getting rid of Joe Madden this year makes any sense. I would be 100% surprised if, in fact, Joe Madden came back next year. I don't think that's going to happen for a lot of reasons. Um, one, I'm one of those guys that says when you sign a contract, there's no reason to give someone an extension before that contract runs out. Otherwise, what's the point of the contract? He signs a contract. He's in his last year this year. He performs well. You sign him to a new one. He doesn't perform well. You let him walk. Um, I know a lot of times people say, well, you, you want to make sure you lock him up so he doesn't go anywhere else. Well, if he does well and he likes it, he'll stay. If he does well and he doesn't like it, he'll leave. Um I don't know. I, I've always been that way. You've got a five-year contract. You stay fifth year. Fifth year's over. Then you make the decision between you and the team. Carl Ravage joined Waddle and Sylvie earlier this week, and he was surprised by all the talk about Joe Madden being on the hot seat. Give it a listen. This is Carl Ravage from ESPN with Waddle and Sylvie. I've never been in a camp where the the manager, barring some unforeseen uh, either attitude change, uh, something about him and the way he operates changes dramatically from one year to the next. 
that dude is the most consistent guy that I've ever seen. And if you can be manager of the year one year and fired the next, to me that's about the players and the front office getting bored. That really is what it is. I don't see any difference in Joe Madden today than I did when he was winning the World Series. I don't see any difference in Terry Francona with the Phillies as I do with the Indians. I never saw a big difference between Joe Torre uh, with the Cardinals and Joe Torre with the Yankees. Dusty Baker's been all over the place. He's always been a good manager. Um, uh, that, that stuff to me is about the front office and the players. It's not about the manager. And, and that also, by the way, is suggesting that the manager and his role is not nearly as significant as, as some people make it out to be. To me, the manager's got to get into the kitchen and just make sure the ingredients all taste good when, when we're putting the plate on the table for people to eat. Uh, but the ingredients got to be good enough that they that it tastes good when the when they are mixed properly. And I'm not so sure that the ingredients are currently you know there to make a good meal. It's not it's not it's not Joe Madden it's not Joe Madden's fault. Oh my God, I couldn't agree more with Carl uh, Ravitch. And I I was writing it down, trying to write it down as quickly as I could. He said. Managers are not nearly as significant as some people make them out to be. My God, I've been saying that for decades. Okay? And he did put blame on the front office. And the talk that some of the media people had with Theo Epstein at Guaranteed Rate Field at the end of the first half of the season when somebody asked Theo, are you in a slump? Well, just look at it. The last two years, he's brought over Darvish, Chatwood, Morrow, Descalso. I mean, come on. (sighs) He's been brutal the last two years. I understand he helped you win a World Series. But for those people who don't think that this is on the front office for not getting, for one, not getting the right players or pitchers, and two, not drafting well and getting players in the minor leagues that you can actually bring up and to put in with the rest of the guys, you're completely crazy. A lot of what's going on with the Cubs is the problem of the front office. Now, you're going to say, well, look, they did all this. Yeah, he made great moves, brought over a John Lester. Uh, They made the move to bring over Anthony Rizzo way back when. They got Pedro Strope and Jake Arrieta, and it ended up winning because of that. But, yeah, if, if general managers can be in a slump, or team presidents, whichever you want to go with, he definitely is in a slump. One more thing from Ravage before we take a break. Um, this is more on the Madden and Theo relationship. How about we just maybe acknowledge, you know what? We just kind of grew tired of each other. Relationship over. That's different than saying he's a bad manager. Right. If you just want to acknowledge, you know what? The, the, the ship has kind of run its course. We're pulling into a dock, and we're going to have a new ship when, when the second half starts or a month into the second half. Okay, but... Again, thank him. He's great. He, he's going to be great again. We acknowledge that. It's like a marriage. It, 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 it ran its course. It, it, it's all over. But this is this is not about a bad manager. You want a new message? You want a new voice? Okay, but I, I'm not blaming the person that's, that's running the uh, clubhouse for some decisions that he is or is not making. The decisions worked two years ago. They worked last year. Winning World Series is hard to do. Yeah, it is. Uh, you really need the players to win a World Series. The Cubs had them, and a lot of people will say, well, all those guys are still here. Well, Arietta's not, but you've got Hendricks, you've got Lester, uh, you have Strope, you have a bunch of the guys. You don't have Chapman. 
But now you have Craig Kimbrell. So we'll see how the second half rolls. 312-332-3776. We come back. Rob Manfred talking about juice baseballs. And we may play some Jeff Passan from ESPN. He was on with Cap and Company the other day and had some great, great things to talk about. Lots of baseball chatter. Jesse Rogers will join us uh, coming up at 11 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Well, we've solved all the problems of Major League Baseball. Actually, we're going to try. We've solved problems from the Cubs. I got a Cubs lineup here for you. Schwarber leading off and left. Why not? He was on base four times yesterday. Baez at short, Bryant and right, Rizzo at first, Caratini is catching. Wilson Contreras dealing with a sore right foot. Uh, Jason Hayward's in center. I kind of like that, putting Hayward in center and Bryant right. Robel Garcia at second base, Bodie at third, Jose Quintana on the hill against Trevor Williams and the Pirates. Cubs go for the sweep. Pirates trying to salvage the last game of the series. Cubs with a game and a half lead. Uh, Jesse Rogers, top of the hour. Now, Rob Manfred was on with the guys, Golik and Wingo, uh, the other day, talking about a lot of things. They grilled him on some stuff. They talked about the netting, where the White Sox will have the netting up for their next homestand after this 10-game road trip. Manfred, you knew this was coming up, was talking about the baseballs, because the balls are leaving the yard. Everyone's talking about the balls being juiced. And Manfred talked about Maybe there's a little less drag in the balls because of the seams. I mean, oh, here, I'll let him explain it. We think w- what's been going on this year um, is attributable to the baseball. Um, our scientists that have been now studying the baseball more regularly um, have told us that this year the ball has a little less drag. It doesn't need to change very much in order to produce um, you know, meaningful change in terms of the way the game's played on the field. Um, we're trying to understand exactly why that happened and build out a manufacturing process that gives us a little more control over what's going on. But you have to remember, the baseball, our baseball, is a handmade product, and there's going to be variation year to year. Well, if there's variation, shouldn't there be someone in quality control saying, okay, seams are small on this one, throw this one out, bring us another one. But I guess that doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, a lot of people, Justin Verlander, one of them, saying, you know, baseball should know about this. Baseball, you know, puts the balls. They pay the people who make the balls. They should figure it out. Uh, they're probably juicing the balls because they wanted more offense. Rob Manfred wanted more offense, more excitement. You're getting more home runs. We could have, I want to say, 600 more home runs than the major league record, which it was set in 2017. Um, Jeff Passon joined Cap and Company talking about juice baseballs and talking about you know, many things among them, Rob Manfred basically saying, no, 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 we didn't juice the baseballs. Passer was asked, well, what if, in fact, Major League Baseball is juicing the baseballs? Is there anything really wrong with that? Number one, it'll show that the commissioner's been lying the whole time. <laughs> and and if the commissioner of a sport is lying to his fans, that does not tend to breed trust in them. Um, secondly, I think the idea that baseball is a sport that is, and this is the more important part, baseball is a sport that is steeped in history and whose numbers have far greater meaning to the sport than I think any other sport's numbers do. And and it's why the, the steroid era, I think, angered so many hardcore baseball fans. I don't even know if it was the idea that these players were enhancing their bodies or, or potentially their performances through the use of, of drugs. Uh, I think it was the fact that 
baseball for the longest time had had a sort of this baseline of performance and you knew what was good and you knew what wasn't good and when the numbers start getting outlandishly skewed all of a sudden that equilibrium is no longer there you don't know what constitutes a good season you don't know what constitutes a bad season and that's where we are right now when when we're on pace for almost 6700 home runs guys and the in the past record is 6100 and the record before that which came in a juice ball in 2017 is 5693 we're talking a thousand more home runs in the previous record that's almost a 20% increase over over the you know long acknowledged record that is a staggering number and and to get your your head around that idea and try and understand what's going on in baseball these days that i think is where a lot of people uh get angry yeah and i think that is one of the reasons uh it is a thing where you don't know if a guy's having a good year or a bad year because you know we're two games into the second half after the all-star break and i'm looking right here at the updated stats there are 38 guys with 20 or more home runs right now 38 um now it could calm down in the second half. I wouldn't expect it to. Um, yesterday, there was a game in Colorado. I Granted, it's Colorado. The Reds won 17-9. to uh, There's some big offensive numbers. Two guys, pretty amazing, the two guys that shared the outfield for the National League in the All-Star game, Bellinger and Yelich, share the lead with 31 homers. Peter Alonzo has 30. Mike Trout has 30. He hit one yesterday. Uh, Hunter Renfro with 27. He'll be at Wrigley Field next week. Uh, Reyes from San Diego has 25. It's, it's amazing the number of home runs. Manny Machado uh, right now has 23. The ball's flying out of the yard. And um, I'm not sure if it's juiced. The seams appear lower. Pitchers are getting more blisters, apparently, because they're trying to grip the seams a little bit more. They thought that would change by lowering the seams. So we'll have to wait and see how baseball goes. But I like the game where the balls are hit. I mean, yesterday, the Cubs only had two homers. They had the three-run homer, and they also had the Lester home run. Three-run homer by Contreras and a Lester home run. So I like when guys are getting base hits, piling up hits, and scoring a lot of runs, action on the bases, things like that. Always good to see. We'll talk to a guy who saw a lot of good baseball yesterday. It's Jesse Rogers. He'll join us top of the hour right here on ESPN. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Uten on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. A little bit of soccer talk. Not right now. Jesse Rogers knows a lot of things, but I'm not going to ask him questions about the Chicago Fire. Um, we got to talk some baseball with Jesse. The Cubs looking to wrap up their series with Pittsburgh with a win, looking for a sweep. They've already won a series, and uh, we bring in our guy, Jesse Rogers. Jesse, it's been a while. A series win for the Northsiders. they got to be happy with that. Yeah, absolutely, and you could tell the difference, you know, whether the break gave them needed rest or just was a reset. Obviously, they already look different than, than they did late in the first half there, winning their first series already since June 7th through 9th. So everything you would have wanted as a Cub fan or as a Cub manager or front office exec or as a player, it's happened in the first two games. Now you got to finish it off, of course, but off to a good start in this homestand. And 
um, in the second half. You know, not not much to complain about at all. Pedro Strobe gave up that home run on Friday, but they overcame that, and they obviously had a great first inning yesterday and uh, cruised to a victory there. So a great start to the second half, really is. Well, Joe talking about how important walks are not only to the team but to Kyle Schwarber. He walks twice. And, you know, when you get four walks in the first inning and you score seven runs, it makes the rest of the game a little bit easier, doesn't it? That's why I believe in the baseball gods. I mean, Joe <laughs> talked extensively about how that is the key. I don't think, and I wrote about this after the game, I don't think people realize how mundane that sounds, you know, and, and, but how important it is. I, I think they realize how, mund- how mundane it sounds, but how important it really is to Joe. And I believe, I subscribe to that theory. Now, you Listeners might say, well, wait a minute. What about the runners in scoring position stat? That's where they're bad at. Fred, going into yesterday, they were first in the, na- in, the, in the National League in walks. Why would that be the most important thing? They've already been first all first half. Right. But he, if you break it down, the times they have struggled on offense is when they've really dipped in that category. They've been bad from the start with runners in scoring position, yet they're in first place. So how important is that? But their bad, real bad month was June when they ranked seventh in in walks and they went 14 and 15. The correlation is on offense is on base. It isn't it isn't batting average in any one category. People just don't seem to get that. But Joe does control the strike zone, work the pitcher. There's so many ancillary effects when you take your walks. The pitch count goes up. The pressure. I mean, 95 degrees out there. You think Jordan Lyles? was enjoying four-walk inning in the first inning. So anyway, the point, the reason I believe in the baseball gods, Joe talks all about that right before the game. And then, boom, Kyle Schwarber not, doesn't just walk once. He walks twice in the first inning. Yep. I mean, it's staring you at the face how important that sort of stuff is. They walk four times in that inning, and they, they put up seven runs. So that was the Kyle Schwarber that we saw in 15-16 coming out of college and almost, uh, I guess you could say, sporadically over the last couple of years. You need that more. Well, and then you look at it, too. A, a lot of times when hitters start gripping the bat tighter, they're eager to swing the bats and get hits. And it's not easy to sit and take pitches, especially in the major leagues. But when you see a guy that's having a hard time finding the strike zone, you've got to give him the opportunity to kill himself. And that's what they did with Lyles yesterday. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great point. And look, in this day and age, with the way the ball is flying, I get guys think they can hit it off the end of the bat and it goes out. I mean, that's got to be in the back of their minds. Um, and, and Joe said it right. It's not about taking your walks. It's about accepting your walks. I like that distinction. Yeah, Taking your walk means you're looking for it. Accepting your walk means the pitcher has given it to you. And, 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 you're, and you're so right. I mean, especially upstairs. These guys cannot catch up to 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. Let's face it. They just can't. But... Um, but if you make them come down, a guy like Kyle Schwarber is going to hit it out of the park. If he lays off, he's going to take a walk. It's easier said than done. Sorry about my uh, Harley there in the background. <laughs> no, that's okay. Not a problem. As long as you wear a helmet on. You got the nice helmet phone going. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. And, and and that high pitch, and I can't tell you how many times I've preached that and mentioned it this year, the best pitch in baseball is the elevated fastball. It's gone, I think, from a well-placed fastball to the elevated because pitchers love it and hitters cannot hit it. I mean, Javi will hit it if it's – and I was talking with Murph about this the other day, and it may, it may have been you two yesterday. I don't know. But um, – when when you come high and tight to Javi, that's about the only place you can get him out right now because he's letting the low and away go. 
if you go high and over the plate or high and outside, he's going to go to right field with it. But if you go high and tight with Javi, that's a way teams are going to get him out. Now, he's going to get hit, and he's going to get upset, and he did again yesterday. But that's going to happen because they don't want to have to pitch to this guy. No, pitchers have figured it out. You yeah. do have to go high, and, and high and tight is even better for pitchers. Uh, the hitters hate it. Um they don't mind it if you can place it perfectly. In 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 other words, don't hit the guy. Yeah. But but if you're going to go high and and tight and it's just an inside pitch, that they can live with that. But if you know that's a, that's a fine line you have to walk as a pitcher not to hit a guy up there. Um, but you're so right. Pitchers have figured it out. I wrote a huge you know long piece on Kyle Hendricks earlier in the year when he's throwing high at at eighty eight eighty nine. You know it's the way to go. I mean you know that yeah. that's the way pitchers have figured out how to get guys out. So. Uh, you want your pitchers to be doing that, and you want your hitters to be laying off it when other pitchers do it to you. And you know, Swarber and Bodie are probably two of the prime examples of guys that like to to swing and swing at that high pitch and, and have missed a lot. I mean, that's Bodie's kryptonite since he came in the league, but they're not the only two. There's plenty of guys like that as well. So. Taking your walks uh, really uh, made it an easy game for them yesterday. I didn't even notice this. Wilson Contreras is not playing today. He's got a sore right foot. They said it might it could be from you know a new pair of shoes uh, that he wore. Uh, his arch might be bothering him, and you know a new pair mm-hmm. of shoes sitting out for a day. So Caratini's back behind the plate, hitting fifth. Uh, but I didn't notice this. Someone posted this last year. Contreras in the first half, 286, 18 homers, 52 RBIs. Second half, 203 homers and 20 RBIs. Now, Contreras had a monster first half this year. And obviously, yesterday had to help finally get, you know, getting a start after not starting in the first game, hitting that homer in the first. That was his only hit for the game. But uh, I, I can't see Wilson Contreras having a bad half like he did last year. No, I don't think he'll go back to last year. And I don't even think it was all fatigue. Everyone points to that as, as a problem. Look, everybody had a bad second half. It wasn't just Wilson Contreras. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is, remember, I don't even think he had that great of a first half. It was okay. Right. But he even said he got away from his work ethic. His swing was messed up. All that stuff mattered. He just had a bad year, and it, and it was really exemplified by the second half. I, I don't even think his first half was that great. But, uh, yeah, I don't see him going back to that because it just he's had a new attitude this year. It's like Darvish. I'd be surprised if both him – and Darvish, you know, reverted back to 2018 levels. They seem to have turned some corner. Um, Contreras at an all-star level, um, and, and, and Darvish at a, certainly a, a more than acceptable level, and maybe even better than that based on his last start. Now, a lot of times we talk about, you know, it's the hitting that needs to come through, it's the pitching that needs to come through. First two games, Jesse, uh, you had Darvish, who pitched a great, great game, and obviously he didn't get any run support, and it was a really good, well-pitched game from both him and Archer. Yesterday, you get John Lester, who pitched well enough to win, and that's what he did, and then he also hit the ball and drove in three runs. So that was nice. Quintana's got a lot to live up to today. There was nothing more than Cubs fans and the Cubs would like more than, especially after struggling in Pittsburgh, is to sweep this Pittsburgh team. It's a big start for Quintana today. I mean, yeah, I think they all are in a way. I mean, I guess it'd be bigger if they'd lost the first two games, right? I, mean, I guess. You know, you know, in some way, we could always build up anything. But um, the point is, you don't want to be that weak link. And so far, sure. they're two for two with really good starts. Hendricks Monday is rarely the weak link. So here's Quintana right in the middle there. They don't have a fifth starter right now. Alec Mills is going to be the guy on Tuesday. So this will stand out if he gives up seven, eight runs, right? This will stand out, especially if Hendricks has a good one tomorrow. So it's more about that. Just if two or three guys in front of you in the rotation pitched well, you just don't want to be that guy that stands out like a, like a wart. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just 
it'll 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 it won't sit well with him more than anything and then in fact it could affect him the next time out so yeah you just want to see him now a lefties this is what you want against pittsburgh you want to turn around um josh bell you want to turn around their switch hitters and 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 you know you got to be careful with Marte. he's been the dangerous guy in this series so far so um bell from the left side uh, i think is I mean, he's great both sides, but you turn him around to the right side, a little less worry there, but Marte's been the guy so far uh, in the first two games. Do you think that uh, Alec Mills was always the guy they had their eyes on to start this game on, was it Tuesday? Um, because Alzali pitched the other day, did not have a good game. He walked six guys, hit a couple guys. Um, do you think Mills was always the guy, or are they hoping that Alzali can come up and, and be a guy in the next week or two? I no, I think I think they wanted to give Alzali a little break. They gave him a little taste, and good chance he comes back up at some point. I, I feel like after his last start up here, remember he got rocked. Yeah, um, that they just wanted to give him a little bit of a break. It was a, a lot of, at, at, all at once. I don't think Mills was their guy all along. I don't know this for sure because they announced it after the game yesterday and really didn't get into detail. But he has pitched well lately, so I'm sure he was on their mind. It probably wasn't going to be Mike Montgomery. So it really came down to Mills or Chatwood, I'm guessing. Um, and for whatever reason, they went with Mills. I mean, to reward him for a good stint down at AAA. They want to keep Chatwood in his role. You know, there's always two or three layers to these decisions. Sometimes we know, you know, some of them, it's obvious. Sometimes we don't. They want to keep it a little bit in their back pocket. So uh, I know that Mills has been pitching better. And I just know they didn't want to bring Alzali right back up after after uh, what happened last time out. So it really was about Chatwood or Mills in my mind, and they chose Mills. Okay, uh, one last thing I want to get to, and I don't know if you uh, heard this earlier in the week. There's been a lot of – Cap had brought this up like two or three times. David Segui, a guy that played in the league, said that maybe 60% of guys in baseball right now are juicing and taking steroids. And uh, Victor Conti jumped in, and, you know, Victor Con- – I mean – you know, I don't know if he's the guy you're actually going to take the word of uh, Victor Conti. But Jeff Passan was on with Cap the other day, and they asked him about what Conti said and about players doing what they're calling microdosing. Listen to what Passan said, and I want to get your opinion. This was Jeff Passan with David Kaplan the other day here on ESPN 1000. I don't think guys are turning into these cartoonish figures anymore and walking around, you know, with their backs full of acne and showing all the telltale signs. I do think guys are are microdosing and you know that that leads me to the question is that so bad i'm serious when i ask this if guys are taking small doses in order to keep their bodies in shape throughout the grind of a 162 game season where they're traveling all over the country at terrible hours where they're, where they're trying to keep in shape as well as they've ever been before. Is it such a bad thing that people are trying to maintain their bodies through any means possible so they can go out and perform? I personally don't think so. As, as long as it's used as something for maintenance rather than for going out there and, and turning into you know this behemoth who wants to go and hit 70 home runs, I morally, personally, don't have a single problem with that. Well, that was Jeff passing the other day with Cap, and when I heard that driving in, I was surprised. And then the more I thought about it, Jesse, I'm a- I actually agree with Passing. What What's your thought on that? Yeah, it's, it's a great conversation point. It really is, and I would tend to agree with you guys as well. 
because you have to understand some of these things aren't necessarily building your muscles and things like that. They're just another version of amphetamines. Fatigue is such an interesting aspect to this game. I've written about it lately. I wrote about it a little bit yesterday, um, how the Cubs have come out with a better eye at the plate in part because maybe they're not as fatigued. That's such an interesting aspect. So some of this stuff is about that, maintaining your body's you, you know, making making your body feel like it's the first first day of its life again. You know right. what I mean? It, more than like he said, like more than the that your head growing and your back and your muscles. It's not about that. It's just it is about maintaining um, that level of a, of of alertness. I'm talking from a body standpoint and maybe a mind as well. I mean, we don't know exactly what all these things do, right? So it, it's it's that. It's like playing 20 days in a row, and on your 20th day. You feel like it was the first day because you're microdosing. I, I I do believe in that. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I guess if there's some line to be crossed, it's if it's really physically altering your body, right? Like the old like the old school steroids. That that that's probably the line. That's probably the line. But if it is some other form of amphetamine to a greater degree, and I'm no doctor scientist on this stuff. I don't, I don't, you know, based on what Jeff said, I agree with Jeff, and I agree with with you agreeing with him. Um, so yeah, I, I can understand that. I, I I believe it as well. I believe it as well. Um, wh- why wouldn't you? Because you morally, you could look yourself in the mirror and say, "I'm just trying to maintain this rigid pace we're on for 162. Right. Uh-huh. I'm trying to I'm trying to earn my paycheck. I'm trying to show up every day, and this isn't making me better. This isn't. It doesn't. We don't know if it necessarily helps a hand-eye coordination other than keeping you alert see what i mean so it, it, in a way it does help your hand-eye because on your 20th day of playing if you're as alert as your first day well then your hand-eye is going to be better sure. so you know but but it doesn't like f- physically do something to your eyes you know what i mean right it, it doesn't, doesn't make you make, right, better it sight right it doesn't make yeah. you stronger it doesn't make it a 15 home run hitter into a 30 home run hitter it just means that he's going to be able to be out there each and every day when you do play 20 but, games in 21 days but he might hit that 30 home runs because he's, on that 20th day he's feeling better he's just feeling better like it was the first day of that run so it, it's a weird it's a weird thing your muscles might not be growing but but your your body feels so be- so much better because of because of taking this stuff, and I think they can morally justify that to themselves, and and maybe even to the league. And uh, based on what Jeff said, look, I travel like that, like the players do, and I don't play, but I travel, and right. uh, you know what? I could use a little something here and there. Well, and, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure. Listen, most a lot of people they'll take different kind of vitamins. They'll well, mine's things. coffee. Yeah, mine's coffee. People will take vitamins. People will take you know vitamin B, and they'll take other stuff. And that and that a guy just texted me. He said, "Listen, you know, there's so many people. You guys are talking about this. You're not sure what microdosing actually does for these guys. Most steroids won't do anything to the body with microdosing." This guy says, "Well, we don't know that. You're right. We don't know that. We're not scientists. But if in fact that's what's happening, then the trainers and baseball are guys that think that this can help these guys get back to you know the level that." they need to be each and every day here here's the bottom line i don't think people get it like you can't perform at that level for 162 or close to it without some help and and i'll just give you an example legal help for example talk to a closer talk to a closer i i'm I'm, i want to talk to kimbrell since he's a high octane guy right wade davis wade davis told me his routine about the fifth inning, he starts pounding coffee. If he thinks he's going to get in a game, you know, Cubs are leading close game. Fifth, sixth inning, starts pounding coffee. 
Then comes an aspirin or two. Then comes a Red Bull. I mean, he is trying to rev up his engine before he even picks up a baseball. That's what he does every single time he has a save situation. Think about these everyday players to maintain that level, the things they will do or are willing to do legally and, you know, the muddy gray areas of it all. And then, of course, the illegal areas. So, trust me, you'd think they want to put all that stuff in their body if they could just... You know, have the adrenaline flown without it all? Of course. I mean, why does Wayne Davis doesn't like drinking that much coffee and no. that much Red Bull and that much? Sure. But they need to do it. They've figured it out to play at this level. You need that. You, your body needs that to get you going. So um, I'm not, I, I don't doubt at all. It, we're, athletes are always looking for the next thing. And obviously, the microdose makes a lot of sense. Since 2008, <laughs> I've had two occasions, or maybe three occasions, where my heart went into AFib. And the one thing the doctors made sure they always told me, they said, do not take any of those those uh, Red Bulls or any of those things. Your heart does stuff on your own on its own, so you don't want to get that jacked up. Now, if everyone's 100% and their heart's fine, then I guess you can push it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I've been told to stay away from that kind of stuff. I, mean, I, I wonder that every t- anytime I do hear um, heart-related things with athletes, especially yeah. younger ones, what have they been putting in their body? I mean, it's the speculation about Tyler Skaggs, I think, right? I'm not, I'm not on top of it, but that's you know that's what people are speculating about um, out west about all that stuff. And uh, you know, I think a newspaper was going to going to print something of speculation. The team and the family got really upset, and they they spiked it actually. Right. Anyway, so it it is a it is a topic um, of conversation. Guys, their bodies, they, or they either they feel like they need it, or they absolutely do need it to to get them going and get and get through the 162. So. Um, I don't doubt that they are that players are at the forefront of of everything uh, legal and you know again in that gray area because I know talking to Tommy Lestone and, and Jake Arrieta I mean these guys uh, were drinking kale green shakes every day that I saw them in spring training they're sure. doing, uh, eating healthiest I went to lunch a couple times with Tommy man I mean I, he made me look like you know uh, you <laughs> felt guilty right the most I mean, he- unhealthy guy in the yeah. world compared to what he was eating right so um yeah i mean but that's the legal stuff we don't know the gray area stuff they don't like to talk about that no and, and one last i mean you mentioned amphetamines and some people may fly off the handle but you know we know in all sports it was not only baseball but it was the nfl too and they you know the amphetamines used to sit on the table when they walked in like m&ms i mean they would grab them and constantly be be jacked up to, in order to play a full major league baseball season that went away and because of that you know they said hey they need something and maybe that in fact is where you know the steroids and everything else came in when the amphetamines had to leave yeah we probably should avoid the word steroids in the current day peds make a lot more sense you're right and and, you know just the phrase because steroid i think of the, the needle in the arm you know sure PED, and I don't even know if it should be called PED. Maybe, maybe there's a, for like Pastor was said, body maintenance drug, you know, yeah. BMD, BMD, body maintenance <laughs> drug. Maybe it, it's more about that, even though it would be illegal. Is it really the same as, as sticking a needle in your arm like Conseco used to do? You know, sure. who knows? Sure. Yeah, it's going to so. it's going to come up even more as, as it, it you know continues to go. It's not going to go away. Um, and hopefully the home run. I don't think so. Yeah, no. I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I don't think so. Um, but but they have proven that it is the ball a little bit at least right yeah. so they, they've admitted to it they don't know why but they, but they've admitted to it and i'm i'm, I'm kind of with pass and if it all, i guess if everyone's on the same level like oh, everything's uh, you know available to everybody in terms of all that stuff then then it's not the worst thing in the world but I, I i wish the game had a little bit more like everyone else 
you know, the, the I don't know the old school stuff, the you know, hit and run, sure, whatever it is. I, yeah. I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but anyway, the, the three run homer is getting a little old. I think we all agree with that. It's getting a little old, even though you love it when it happens. But well, it was like, nice. It, it was nice for Contreras yesterday. Was, yeah, a, yeah, a game with six home runs and like no other scoring isn't that interesting to no. me. That's me. You're right. You're right. Absolutely so. right. A pitcher can do very well. I mean, yesterday, is, I mean, two days ago, Nova gave up three solo homers. Now, it, there were no guys on base. He didn't pitch awful, but he gave up three home runs, which, you know, who knows if they would have left the ballpark at other places. And um, the way they were hit, they probably would have. Um, but, yeah, you, you can pitch well, give up three home runs, and, and all of a sudden there's no such thing. Well, that's 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 why Hamels and Lester are so good and so smart. They know that if, if you don't walk anybody, you have a good chance of winning the game. Sure. Simple as that. Because they're going to have to hit like four or five solo home runs to beat you. I mean, obviously if your offense does nothing and you give up a couple solo shots, you'll lose. But in general, you, you'll you have a quality outing with three home runs given up. Yeah, you you're, know, three solo shots over seven innings, that's okay. Where where if you walk guys, then all of a sudden it's a two or three run homer and it changes everything. Yeah, Cub starters, I think, over the last the first two games, Cub starters have walked one guy. I think Darvish had one walk the other day and Lester yep. had none. So that's that's the way to keep the guys off the bases. Yesterday, Jordan Lyles walked four, Dylan Covey walked two. They both gave up seven runs basically in the first innings of their games. So Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, and the key for the Cubs were maintaining all these things we've talked about when they go on the road. But first and foremost, they gotta win win a homestand here. Go six and three or whatever the case may be be and then and then see what they do on the road but um that's been obviously the 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 place where they haven't um uh you know kept the walks down they haven't pitched well at all on the road and and you you can't put your finger on it just one of those things um and the whole division hasn't played well on the road so that's that's the next step after the cubs have a winning homestand so people people that are watching the uh cub game today they hope for a uh a cub victory just because they'll get a chance to see you then (laughs) is that how it works I believe so. Sometimes they they tape those walk off interviews and play them on the news later. Sometimes they're live. Okay, it depends on the length of the game if it runs into the news. But if the Cubs win and it's live, I will be there interviewing the star of the game. We hope. There you go, Jesse Rogers. Enjoy the day today. It's, it looks like another great one. Don't get sunburned. You got to take care. Of okay, Christ. Jesse Rogers out at the ballpark as the Cubs get ready to take on the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. The third game of this series, Cubs looking for the sweep again. The lineup uh, or the batting order. Murph and uh, Jesse and I, we were going over this yesterday. There's a lineup, but there's a batting order, and the batting order has Kyle Schwarber in left, Javi Baez at short, Chris Bryant in right field. Anthony Rizzo's at first with Victor Caratini catching. Wilson Contreras with a sore right foot. Jason Hayward's in center field. Robel Garcia, the second baseman. Then David Bodie at third. And Jose Quintana is on the hill of pitching. We come back. Some highlights from around the major leagues. A lot went on yesterday and also a couple days ago. Something really special out in Anaheim. We'll talk about that and much, much more. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you. Cubs go for the sweep of the Pirates today. The White Sox try to salvage a game against the A's out in Oakland. Ronaldo Lopez against Brett Anderson. Yesterday, actually two days ago, real special thing out in Anaheim. Uh, the Angels played their very first game at home after the passing of Tyler Skaggs. He passed away while the team was on the road in Texas. Uh, Tyler Skaggs' mother threw out the first pitch. She, from what I read, was a softball coach and just threw a strike. And then she looked at the skies and uh, 
you know, a little salute to her son, Tyler. And uh, it was an amazing game. And the first time Mike Trout stepped to the plate in the game, first pitch, he hit one 454 feet onto the rock pile uh, for a home run. And it was all angels in that game, so much so that um, the opposition, the Seattle Mariners, couldn't get a hit. Next delivery, it's grounded to Renhifo. Has the ball bounce away, recovers, throws, and the ball game is over. The Angels have no hit Seattle tonight here at the Big A. 13 to nothing the final on a night where the Angels honored Tyler Skaggs, every single Angel player wearing his number and name on the back of their uniforms. A no hitter tonight against the Mariners. Uh, interesting. Remember a while ago where a player would want to do a certain thing or in the NFL you want to wear certain color, kind of spikes and you can't do it? Here's everybody on the team wore Tyler Skaggs' jersey number and his name on their uniform. The image of all them putting the jerseys on the mound after is something I won't forget. It was such a strong moment. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Trout talked about it afterwards. The game, just I'm speechless. You know, I really didn't think of anything of it till about the seventh inning, and uh, I, I knew that we had a no hitter going. The crowd was getting more into it, and um, what a what a. There's no better way to honor him tonight. You know, throwing that no hitter, uh, the last out was something special for his family. You know, you need to just to look look back and know that he was, you know, that was for him, and he was he was watching over us tonight. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, Mike Trout, uh, one of the better players in all of baseball, could be the best player in all of baseball. The Angels are a team; they're forty seven and forty six. They're eleven games back of Houston. I don't know if they're going to get a boost from uh, all this in here in the second half, but I well, I can tell you one thing. Mike Trout's not slowing down. This happened yesterday. Trout hits behind deep to left field. Moving back on it. Dylan Moore to the track, to the wall. Gone! Big fly for Mike Trout. A two-run shot. Just never disappoints, does he? No, he certainly doesn't. Mike Trout with a home run. Highlights courtesy of Angels TV. For Trout, he's got eight homers and 18 RBIs in his last seven games. Uh, he is putting up monster numbers. And again, and the NBA is going to go through this a little bit too. You've got some of the best action on the West Coast. It's real difficult for some of the people here in the Midwest and the people out East to catch it. So uh, we try to bring a little bit of it to you on a Sunday mornings. I know, Cub fans, you're not going to be happy with this. Uh, the Brewers, who lost the other day at extra innings, uh, they uh, got one uh, yesterday against San Francisco. And a swing and a drive to the right field. Highlights courtesy Milwaukee TV. Ben Gamble with the RBI, a 5-4 to four win. Milwaukee staying just a game and a half back of the Cubs in the Central Division. Another team in the Central. They said, hey, hey, don't forget about us. The uh, Cincinnati Reds were in Colorado. They lost to the Rockies the night before. There was no losing yesterday as they pounded Colorado 17-9. And uh, Philip Irvin for the Reds had a nice game. Line drive, another base hit for Irvin. Six hit night for Philip Irvin. Wow, what a night. Six hit night for Philip Irvin. And his teammates appreciate that.
The announcer repeated it because I don't think he even believed it himself. Philip Irvin with six hits. The Reds with a 17-9 win over Colorado yesterday. Philadelphia was playing the Nationals yesterday. Philadelphia Phillies, the Washington Nationals, and um, Victor Robles is fast. Uh, but he found you don't really test the arm of Bryce Harper. Nolda kicks and comes home. The first pitch is hit in the air to right center field. Harper on the run won't get there. This one's up the alley for a hit and will go to the out-of-town scoreboard. Robles now thinking about third. Harper airmailing it all the way to third. Attacked by Franco and he's out. Wow, what a throw by Bryce Harper from the warning track in right center field. And he guns down Victor Robles, who got greedy. Oh, so much for hitting the cutoff, man, I guess, huh? Wow. <laughs> I love that. Victor Robles, who got greedy. Now, if you looked at it, uh, Harper had the ball before Robles got to second. And Robles decided to try getting to third. And that was the wrong choice to make. But the right choice was with a man on uh, Soto a little bit later in the game. Soto with two hits tonight. First pitch. Deep left center. Juan Soto has given the Nationals a 4-3 lead here in the top of the ninth inning with his 16th home run of the season. Yeah, Juan Soto with a home run. Highlights courtesy of Nationals TV. I think that was Bob Carpenter on the call as uh, the Nationals get a win. Washington, six games back of Atlanta. Philadelphia is eight and a half back, so they wrap up their series a little bit later on today. We don't have a highlight for this one just because I was lazy and didn't cut it. Um, and maybe because I'm aggravated because Minnesota just keeps winning, and uh, no one's surprised, expecting Minnesota to keep winning. Uh, they are now 50, boy, is that 58? 58 and 33. Okay, after a win yesterday, they beat Cleveland. Uh, Max Kepler with two home runs off Trevor Bauer. Uh, Kepler's a good player. You figure it nice. Five straight at-bats. The last five at-bats Matt Kepler had, Max Kepler had against Trevor Bauer, he homered. In five consecutive at-bats against one of the better pitchers in baseball. Uh, it was a 6-2 to two Minnesota win and uh, an interesting highlight. When I was growing up, there was a guy that I used to watch all the time pitch, and he's in the news today for bad reasons, but this is one of the things I remember him about. I'm Bob Gibson. My fastball isn't so fast anymore, but this is Primatine Miss, the fastest type relief known for occasional bronco asthma attacks. Restores free breathing as fast as 15 seconds, and Primatine tablets help prevent attacks for hours. In the lungs, Primatine That was uh, Bob Gibson with a commercial that was in 1982. Now, I was looking for another commercial because Bob Gibson used to do a Primatine Miss commercial and says, Hi, I'm Bob Gibson. I have bronchial asthma. When I have an attack, that's bad news. And, you know, we were young. We didn't know anything better. We wouldn't make fun of a Bob Gibson, but we'd just say, Hey, when, you have, when that happens, it's bad news. Well, Bob Gibson was bad news when he was pitching against uh, anybody else. I remember watching Gibson and Jenkins go against each other. The Cubs and the Cardinals game would go like under two hours, and these guys would go complete games. It was just so much fun to watch. Unfortunately, he is going through pancreatic cancer right now. Our best wishes I go on out to Bob Gibson. Not the nicest guy that you'd want to go against. He had an attitude on the mound and off the mound. He was a pitching coach for a while, I want to say in Atlanta and several other places, but uh, a guy that didn't take a lot of guff, and he actually changed the game of baseball because after his 1968 season, I want to say, he had a 113 ERA. They lowered the mound about three inches, uh, and his fastball wasn't nearly as good then.
Still pretty damn good, but not as good when it was a couple inches higher. Uh, and they lowered the mound, and it's still at that level right now. We come back. I know you've been waiting. Some soccer talk. The Chicago Fire in the news this week. A possible move to Soldier Field. They're going to be getting out of SeatGeek Stadium, formerly known as Toyota Park. I went out there last night and uh, was not happy with the result. If you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. The Fire is struggling. We'll talk a little soccer. We come back right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hughes on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Well, welcome back in. Fred Hughes with you. Cubs and White Sox both played afternoon games yesterday. The Cubs game was over quickly. They scored seven runs in the first inning. And the White Sox game was over quickly. They uh, gave up seven runs in the first inning. Uh, Cubs uh, wrap up their series with Pittsburgh today. The White Sox wrap up their series with Oakland. Cubs looking for the sweep. Sox looking to salvage a game. Last night, I went on out to SeatGeek Stadium. Chicago Fire were home against the expansion FC Cincinnati squad. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, the bottom of the standings and the way it should be. Expansion teams don't usually do well, except for the 1998 Chicago Fire, of course. Um, won the MLS Cup in their first inaugural season. Well, they're only inaugural season, but you know what I mean. And um, last night, uh, things did not start well. Uh, the Chicago Fire and Cincinnati got underway. Highlights courtesy of ESPN. My guys, Frank Lopez and Dan Kelly on the call. I really want to see if Demay, the coach, talked about being organized and being compact and looking to press higher up the field. And without Schweinsteiger in the lineup tonight. Looking for an early opportunity in FC Cincinnati. Strikes Uh-oh. in the first minute. Cruz with the early finish for the visitors. Nothing special here. Just a very, it's a direct play. The ball goes out wide, and then just an early cross in, and then the ball. It's just unfortunate. You can't let that ball bounce into the box. It does. It's very difficult for Copperhall to clear it. Unlucky by Herbert as he tracks his player, just comes off his chest and bounces in front there of Cruz from three yards out. Really. A, not a difficult finish. No, it wasn't a difficult finish, but it was a, an awful finish. Uh, just 47 seconds into the game, the Chicago Fire Trail won nothing. And uh, it was funny because Klopas was mentioning, you know, without uh, Bastian Feinsteiger, he had a yellow card accumulation, so he couldn't play yesterday. So what happens, there's a ball in the box, and Schweinsteiger's the guy that probably would have been there to clear it out, and he wasn't there. Um, then 25 minutes and 8 seconds into the first half, and you want to know why I know that? Well, because it was up on the screen for a long time because there was lightning. And I said earlier this week, and someone got to me as soon as this happened yesterday, one thing, if you like a sport that, uh, you know, is basically a two hour over in two hours, a soccer game starts at seven over by nine, soccer's your sport. I mean, heck, college basketball, uh, the NBA, they're all longer than two hours, NHL longer than two hours, and Lord knows baseball's longer than two hours. So if you like a sport, you can sit down and watch it and be over in two hours at soccer. Not when you have a one hour delay for lightning. Now they'll play in rain, but not with lightning. So they Stopped the game last night out at SeatGeek Stadium, and an hour later, they resumed the game, and uh, the Chicago Fire had already missed a penalty kick. Uh, Nico Gaetan hits the post, and then they had another chance. Looking for a little retribution, and the equalizer, Nico Gaetan, diving save by Richie, but Gaetan goes to goal the second try. 
second and equalizer right before half. Stops her a little bit. Richie gets a hand on that. Just the ball comes right back centrally. No one from FC Cincinnati comes in thinking that there might be a rebound. Just like uh, the other sport, the other football, the American football, scoring right before the half is a huge thing. And the Chicago Fire get on the board three minutes into stoppage time at the end of the first half. Nico Gaetan misses another PK. He gets stopped from the penalty spot, and he gets the rebound, puts it in. It's tied at one. Second half, the fire dominates. They dominate possession. They have numerous opportunities. And Cincinnati in the 84th minute had just one chance. Slowing the play down, but it's Mane and FC Cincinnati. Now it's Adi. Adi, the left foot. Finishes it for Cincinnati there. Fernando Adi gives them the lead late. His first goal with FC Cincinnati. Oh, no. That's not a good thing. Final score, FC Cincinnati 2, the Chicago Fire 1. The Chicago Fire have won just one of their last nine Major League Soccer matches. I'm looking here. Um... They were in, uh, they played at San Jose, a 4-1 loss. They tied New York City FC. They tied D.C. United 3-3. They lost to Atlanta 2-0. They tied a Real Salt Lake 1-1. They lost to the Red Bulls 3-1. Hey, they beat Atlanta last year's defending champion 5-1. And they then lose to Sporting Kansas City 1-0. They lose to Cincinnati, a final of 2-1. They are struggling big time. They have numerous opportunities. They can't put the ball in the net. They don't get good enough shots. And Velko Panovic, a, um, the head coach that many people think is definitely on the hot seat, he said uh, they'll just keep working. We have to fight back now. We have to lift the spirits. I'm not giving up, and nobody's going to give up in that locker room while I'm here. So we're going to work with the guys, prepare them. We have to show uh, the respect for what we're doing, the respect for everyone that this club matters. And uh, we have to show self, uh, self-pride. Uh, I was not in the post-game locker room. I mentioned to you that uh, I left because, you know, the game was going too long. I had no choice. I had to get up and come here tomorrow, uh, this morning. But... Uh, Brian Sandalow from the Sun-Times asked the question that most people are wondering, and they asked, uh, he asked Velko Panovic if he is worried about his job security. I'm, every day I'm concerned about my job security. I think it's, um, it's a profession where you always have to be uh, ready uh, to, for any kind of setbacks. You have to know that this is a, a top-flight uh, job, and everyone is uh, fighting for it, so I'm I'm not concerned. I would say, for me, it's more that I'm aware. He is aware of it, and uh, I think all Chicago Fire fans are in, in soccer. Unlike some of the other sports, they don't stick with guys for a long time. Now, Velko's been here for several years, um, and the team has made the playoffs once, but they were supposed to be better this year. They should be better this year. Soccer is a uh, cruel, cruel sport. You make one mistake, and uh, you lose, and that's what happened yesterday. They turned the ball over in midfield in the 83rd minute. Cincinnati has one opportunity in the second half, and they score and win the game 2-1. to one. Uh, They also made news earlier this week with buying out the rest of their deal to play at SeatGeek Stadium, formerly known at Toyota Park. They have not come out with an announcement that they're going to play at Soldier Field, but that's what everybody thinks. Now, there's a good percentage of people that think playing at Soldier Field will be a wonderful thing. Okay, they played their first four years at Soldier Field, and then they went, while Soldier Field was being rehabbed, they went out to North Central College, 
and in Naperville for a couple of years. Then they went back to Soldier Field for a couple of years. Their largest attendance at Soldier Field, I'm looking here, 17-8, 16, 13, 3, uh, 16, 3. Then they went back in 04 and 05, and they drew 17, 1 and 17,002. They've been at Toyota Park, now SeatGeek Stadium, since 2006, and drawing crowds 17,014, 15, 8, 14. But there are many. I don't know. I'll be hard on millennials. They don't. They don't like sitting in traffic and going on out and getting in a car and going out to Bridgeview. Um, but they're going to lose a lot of fans, in my opinion. Uh, people that live in the western burbs, the southwest burbs, who've been uh, loyal uh, Chicago Fire fans, will they come down to Soldier Field? From what I heard, the crowd for the USA Mexico game of two weeks ago, the Gold Cup final was just an awful crowd. Awful. I mean, great crowd. Awful getting in and out. Um, not a fan. But until they build another soccer-specific stadium, that's probably what's going to happen. You'll hear much more of Fireplay Columbus this Wednesday night at SeatGeek Stadium, 7 o'clock. I'll be there for that whole game, I think. I will. Thanks to Eric Ostrowski for all of his help. Thanks to Jesse Rogers for jumping in. Thanks to you for listening right here on ESPN 1000.